for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope your weekend's going well. Good program for you today. Interesting top stories, some interesting uh, data that we got this past week as far as the economy. And also joining me in just a little bit, Miss Maya McGinnis. Uh, she's the president of the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Uh, she has expertise in uh, budget, tax, economic policy, uh, works with uh, people on both sides of the aisle. And we're going to be talking about what the heck is in the latest uh, spending package that we've been hearing so much about. Um, so she's going to break that down for us um, and give us some inside kind of common knowledge as to uh, what's going on. So Miss McGinnis uh, will be with us in just a little bit. Uh, we'll get cranking with some top stories of this week. No big surprise, but I want to let you know you still have a couple few weeks to save up for it. Thanksgiving is going to be more expensive, actually the most expensive in history uh, since they've been keeping uh, tabs on the Thanksgiving dinner. The latest came from the American Farm Bureau Federation this week, I saw. So their senior economist, the lady's name is Veronica Nye, said when you go to the grocery store and it feels more expensive, that's because it is. And also adding that overall food prices are up 3.7 percent across the board in 2022 against the 20-year average. So, um, you know, they've got this thing called the Marine Exchange, which tracks container ships at the two California ports. And they said there are 105 of those container ships waiting at the ports. That was as of Tuesday. Uh, But before that, there were 98. So it's actually stacking up more, no pun intended, um, at these ports uh, so it doesn't matter where you look. You see this increase in prices, f- meat, poultry, fish, and eggs, other food items like uh, coffee and bacon and peanut butter have seen significant increases year over year. And like I said, that's why uh, we're feeling all this pain energy-wise at the pump, which is self-inflicted. Um, also, we're seeing um, these food prices skyrocket. Uh, And then, of course, uh, other prices for various goods and services are up also. So um, we're going to be talking about this uh, this spending package in just a little bit, as I mentioned, with uh, the president of the committee for a responsible federal budget. But if they pass this and all of that additional money comes rolling out and into the economy, get ready for hyperinflation. And if you haven't heard it, you did hear, uh, because that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to literally throw gas on this fire um, by pushing all this money that's not necessary, by the way, at all. We've got money still that's been uh, appropriated that hasn't even been paid out. So just imagine if these other uh, wasteful programs are put in place. And, you know, it's not just inflation that we're all dealing with. Like I said, when we fill up our vehicles or pay for heating oil um, uh, as uh, the the season comes up on us now or or in the grocery aisles, uh, et cetera, 
the number of times the word inflation was mentioned during earnings calls in the third quarter, which this week we were knee-deep in earnings, um, has surged to its highest level in over two decades. That was according to Bloomberg. So transcripts of analyst briefings of 1,557 global stocks in the third quarter showed that inflation was mentioned over 3,600 times, according to Bloomberg, which noted that this is the highest number in more than 20 years. So the rise in corporate inflation, uh, that chatter, like rising prices themselves, paint a picture of greater persistence around uh, upward price pressures. By the way, the latest uh, white paper we have for you is titled Inflation in Your Retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? And, uh, of course, you have to be because what everyone's uh, dealing with right now, that's at murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's a free download. Uh, You just click it, and it goes right to your uh, email inbox. Again, it's titled Inflation in Your Retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? Um, So, yeah, it's not just us that are dealing with it. Obviously, corporations are dealing with it. What are we hearing? It's pretty simple. They're raising prices. We spoke about it here last week with Kimberly Clark, um, the big consumer staples uh, type company. Massive, actually, like Procter & Gamble. Um, But Kimberly Clark came out and said, hey, we're going to raise prices on tissue paper, bathroom tissue paper, um, diapers. So my comment when I saw that right away was, wait, this can't be the case. Inflation is only impacting the upper class. They're the only ones, according to the uh, uh, claim, the chief of staff at the White House, when he retweeted that. This is not, I mean, come on. Poor people don't use diapers. People on fixed income or living paycheck to paycheck, they don't buy toilet paper, right? What a joke. All this stuff is a joke, and it's preventable. Um, but instead of working on and solving problems, they're more worried about jumping on their jets and going to the next best place that they can be to try to, um, whatever, elbow bump the people that uh, they think view them as important. Well, of course, that person's thinking the same thing about the other people that showed up. So it's just that bubble, if you will. It's that elitism. Um, and, of course, they're in politics and making policy to make money. Uh, Can't do it on their own. They have to get it from you and I, from our taxes uh, that we pay. But inflation's real. Like I said, uh, corporations are raising prices. You know the other thing that's interesting I'm hearing a lot about now? Portions. So when you buy something, it might cost the same, so you don't see a price increase, but a portion is less. You're not getting as much as you were prior to all these inflationary problems. So that's really interesting, too. I love it when people, uh, you know, when they visit the office and they share those stories with me um, because it it helps keep everything in perspective. Uh, The Biden administration's policies are hindering U.S. oil and gas companies from producing energy commodities. That's driving the price up, which in turn results in consumers paying more. This is according to Jerry Simons, the president excuse me, Simmons, uh, the president of Domestic Energy Producer Alliance. So the Domestic Energy Producers Alliance is a nationwide collaboration of 39 coalition associations. 
And it represents individuals and companies who engage in domestic uh, onshore oil and natural gas exploration and production. Now, look, this coalition, it represents 80 percent of businesses in the United States that are not multinational firms. So you're not we're not talking about the big guys. We're talking about God bless them. The Mavericks who went out there. And um, basically realized that there was an opportunity for us to become energy independent and developed the processes necessary to extract that energy so that we didn't have to be beholding to other people. These, again, this is not multinational companies. These are the, the small guys out there, the small firms. And look, they're just looking for a common sense solution to the issues that face the industry, including the federal government, um, because of Biden's push toward green energy, where they're all together in Glasgow, Scotland uh, this weekend, which, by the way, has not been proven. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with uh, my guest, Mark Mills from the Manhattan Institute. Prove it. Literally show us the calculus. Right. Show us the math. And they can't, they won't debate it in public with a panel of experts on both sides because they know they'll get waxed. So instead, they have to scare people, guilt people, and push this narrative through the media, which is easy for them, and also through schools and universities and workplace. So um, really, really tough for these small energy producers. You know, the the United States had become energy self-sufficient for the first time in uh, decades last year, driven in part by technology breakthroughs and the development of shale gas plays. Uh, So, you know, North Dakota to West Texas, and then, of course, in Pennsylvania and Ohio, where uh, horizontal drilling technology allowed companies to produce oil and natural gas. And as Mr. Simmons said, we became the number one producer of crude oil and natural gas last year. And that's something that nobody expected to happen. However, you know, within a couple days of this uh, new administration coming in and their executive orders um, and this whole uh, ambiguous climate agenda that they have, that's a power grab and a control grab, um, it's crippled oil and gas companies and left left you, the consumer, paying more. And it's going to get worse. The more they implement, the worse it's going to get. So... Really a shame. And again, we'll be talking about this uh, latest uh, spending spree uh, Christmas list in just a little bit. And to this point, you know, one other thing that we see that the government is so involved in and, you know, we're having all of these supply chain issues. um, The the politicians are saying it's because uh, the economy is so good. Baloney. In 2019, we had one of the best economies in the history of this country. Literally. We had the best employment situation in 50 years. Literally. And for some people, it was the best ever. That's how good employment was. This economy was hitting on all eight cylinders, and it was organic. There wasn't stimulus check money coming out for people to go and spend just this supposedly free money that people would go to their mailbox and get, right? 
So now, because they can also control with the uh, fear factor and um, intimidation because of the virus, which, by the way, came from China and uh, Biden won't say anything about it uh, or any of his other uh, people, which is totally embarrassing. Uh, But anyway, what we've seen is more business groups have asked the Biden administration to delay their announced vaccine mandate until after Thanksgiving and Christmas. So a lobbyist at the his name is Evan Armstrong, I saw uh, he's a lobbyist at the Retail Industry Leaders Association, said his organization is concerned that Biden's rule would trigger a surge in uh, resignations and would cause even more staffing shortages. So you see the help wanted signs everywhere. That's what happens when you shut down the economy when it's not necessary and then you actually pay people and uh, incentivize them not to work. Again, self-inflicted. So um, another uh, person, a top lobbyist at the uh, National Retail Federation, said that we're already having supply chain issues. We're already having workforce shortage issues. This mandate cannot be implemented in 2021 without having serious repercussions on the American economy. Uh, so for private businesses, then that's just, you know, that's the uh, the federal mandates are talking about. But also for private businesses, Biden said that workers who don't get vaccinated could be mandated to submit to weekly testing. And I'm already talking to people that are like, hey, Chris, I'm sick of this. It's ridiculous. I'm going to retire, you know, help us out. Um, let's get all of our ducks in line. Uh, we want to retire now. We're not going to be part of this. Um, you can't force me to do something because of my religious beliefs or my medical um, uh, situation that's obviously between my doctor and myself and my family. So that's what's happening. So this will get worse, too, if they force that, which they're going to try like crazy, you know, to uh, to do so. So, um, you know, it, it's it's just one of these things that uh, it's it's very very frustrating. It's impacting people in a negative way. I, as you know, whether you're a brand new listener or you've been listening for uh, almost 24 years now, um, I'm not a big poll person because I know they can be manipulated by how the questions are asked and who they poll. All that kind of stuff that goes into it. It gives you a headache when you try to track it because again, you don't know if you're being misled or not. But pretty much every poll that's out there is showing that people are sick and tired of the policies and how things are being done here in the United States over the last 10 months. Um, So something's got to give. I don't know what that is, but definitely something has to give. Again, our uh, latest uh, complimentary white paper for you, it's on the website. It's titled Inflation and Your Retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? Because obviously that's what we're dealing with right now. And it's something, you know, it's amazing. So many people um, I've I've noticed over um, helping folks with retirement and wealth management for 30 years, they don't factor in inflation. And you can't, it's a boring subject. It's a black hole. I, I'm with you. Everybody's eyes kind of glaze over. Now, right now we're experiencing you know, really, again, it, it's serious, serious. But just even normal inflation over time, um, it erodes away at the purchasing power. So if you're in retirement for 25, 35 years, you know, what a dollar buys today, it's not going to buy um, 
down the you know that same amount down the road. So you really should take that into consideration. Inflation in your retirement, are you prepared for rising cost and how it might impact you? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. And it's right on the homepage. Just click the button, and it's an uh, uh, instant download to your email. When we come back, some economic data and Fed news. This one church town is a go-do road to a whole lot of nothing. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. Are you ready? Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, go to Apple Podcast and you can listen to the Your Financial Editor program, uh, re-listen to it, share it. Uh, We're fortunate. We have so many uh, good guests that really make the program successful. Uh, Today, for example, in just a little bit, Ms. uh, Maya McGinnis, uh, she is the president of the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Uh, She has expertise in uh, budget, tax, economic policy. She works with uh, folks both sides of the aisle. Um, Really, really, you've seen her, I'm sure, on television, read all her stuff in the major newspapers, et cetera. So she's going to be joining me in just a little bit to talk about this, uh, what I call it a a Christmas list um, for uh, progressives and people that don't care about the country. But anyway, uh, she'll break it apart. Uh, and, uh, and and help us understand what's in it and um, how it can uh, help or hurt our economy and the country overall. When we look at the economic data this week, we got a couple um, reports on consumer confidence, and both of those improved. Um, so consumer confidence rose this month after three consecutive months of declines, mainly because uh, there was a spike in concerns about inflation, of course, and people are really worried about that. But they felt a little bit better about uh, job prospects, and also they weren't as concerned about the Delta variant. That was according to Lynn Franco. She's a senior director of economic indicators at the conference board that came out with the report. Also, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Report, um, which samples fewer people, but that was uh, was showed um, a better number as well than the previous number. We did see also we got our first look at GDP or gross domestic product uh, for the third quarter, and we see that uh, the annualized pace was only 2%. In the third quarter. So that was well below forecast. It's much worse than the 6.7% that we saw in the second quarter. So this is something that's being watched very closely, uh, obviously. And um, it, it shows that things are slowing down as we go into the, uh, the end of the year. Uh, why is that important? Well, if you look into the report, consumer spending which accounts for more than two-thirds of economic activity, was only up 1.6% as far as a rate in the third quarter. That was after 12% in the second quarter. 
you're talking about major, major slowdown. Um, so that's something that's going to be watched closely. We had a few uh, housing reports this week. Sales of uh, new U.S. single-family homes rose uh it actually surged, I, I guess I can say, to a six-month high in the month of September. Um, even though, uh, you know, they were up 14 percent, they uh, still um, – the, the the cost, because the housing prices are going up, are making home ownership less affordable for some of the first-time buyers out there. So that's something that people are having to deal with with as well. Then you look at the lagging report from the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index uh, that actually went back to August, and it showed year over year that home prices were up 19.8% in the major, uh, the 20 top uh, metropolitan areas, I should say. So real, real nice uh, improvement there. And and again, a heck of a seller's market for sure. Uh, Now, pending home sales, uh, they actually fell in September. So that was the kind of contrarian report to the others that we saw. Uh, but they were down. U.S. durable goods orders. Durable goods are things that are produced uh, to or designed to last at least three years. So think of your dishwasher, an airplane, your toaster, things of that nature. They were actually down um, in September. Uh, so they declined. Well, they were up four-tenths of a percent. But they were down um, a billion dollars in orders from the uh, the previous month. So, you know, that's one of those things that uh, people are concerned about. Uh, is it supply chain? Um, is it the consumer? You know, is it a mixture of things? And, and people are watching that uh, very closely. The other thing we saw this week was first-time filings for unemployment insurance, uh, the initial jobless claims, which is a proxy for layoffs, came in at, uh, well, you had 281,000 people file first-time unemployment claims last week, according to the uh, the Labor Department. Now, uh, that's that's better than what was expected, right? So, okay, okay good. But... I went back to October of 2019 before the virus came, and that number that I just told you, that 281,000 people filing first-time claims, is 30% higher than before the virus. So you don't see me getting excited about it. There is a ton of work to still be done. And the continuing jobless claims, which includes people receiving some type of – or some form of jobless assistance is 32 over 32% higher than it was in October of 19 before the virus came. A lot of work to be done for sure. Um, the last thing, you know, I, I, we got a ton of data and of course earnings were crazy this week. Uh, but our Richmond federal reserve bank, uh, which we're in that district. So think of Maryland, DC, uh, Virginia, part of the Carolinas, part of West Virginia, I think a little bit of uh, Pennsylvania. It's a pretty big uh, district, the 5th District. But we saw that manufacturing activity strengthened this month, according to the survey that came from the Richmond Fed the middle of the week. So we went from a reading of minus 3 in September up to 12 in October. And all three component uh, indexes, shipments, new orders, and employment, they all increased. So that was good for a a very broad 
uh, swath of of um, manufacturers out there. That was great to see. Uh, again, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. And uh, when you do, right there on the home page, our latest white paper, it's complimentary. Inflation and your retirement, are you prepared for rising costs? And uh, that goes, that's an instant download right to your um, your email. And after this break, we'll be talking with my guest, Miss Maya McGinnis. Uh, she is the president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. What the heck is, what's in these spending bills that they're talking about? And is it good? Is it bad? Um, we know that there's they're redefining the definitions of a lot of things, but we're going to jump into that with both feet. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com streaming. And also uh, go to Apple Podcasts and you can get the program as a podcast uh, there as well. Um, as I mentioned right before the news break, we were going to be jumping into our discussion this week very timely uh, as far as what's going on or not going on um, with the various spending packages uh, that are floating around uh, Capitol Hill. Um, and I'm very happy to uh, let you know that my guest, Miss Maya McGinnis, uh, is uh, joining us. She's the president of the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Her area of expertise include budget, tax, economic policy. She works with people on both sides of the aisle um, and is just really committed to that, a responsible federal budget. And she's going to give us some insight as to uh, what is going on uh, with these spending packages. want to let you know you can go to crfb.org. And uh, that's the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget's website. The stuff that we're talking about this morning is available for you. You can go there. You can read it for free. You can be educated um, and really understand in detail what's going on with these uh, spending packages. Good morning, good morning, Ms. McGinnis. How are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking time to join us. I appreciate it. And um, so... There's so much stuff going on and so many numbers that are floating around the air, you know, that we're trying to grab a hold of. Um, I know you put out three pieces this week. One uh, I saw in the Hill. Reconciliation can work if Congress sets priorities and cuts the gains. Let's just start there and uh, educate our listeners as to reconciliation and how it's tied to these other uh, proposed spending programs. Right. So there's two big bills that are moving forward that are on the president's agenda. The first is the bipartisan infrastructure package, which was negotiated and put in place a couple months ago now. But we still haven't seen a vote on that. And that is um, compared to the second one, this reconciliation one, relatively small, looking at improving the nation's infrastructure. The second portion is going through reconciliation. And what that means is 
all you need is a majority in the Senate to get it passed. And there's no Republican support for this this bill. And so it will be passed by all Democrats. But you need every single senator to sign on, which has made the negotiation very difficult. Um, And now it looks like they may be coming to a yes on this. This bill includes things that are not infrastructure. You hear a lot of talk about infrastructure, but this is more um, policies on helping families um, in terms of um, education, home, uh, personal, personal time off, um, investments, climate, more on housing. So it's more, um, they're calling it soft infrastructure, but it's more investment in human capital, education, and social welfare, helping families. Okay, so uh, one of the things I know that I've heard, and I'm sure a lot of folks have uh, heard it as well, is the infrastructure uh, bill itself. I've heard that traditional infrastructure uh, projects like roads, bridges, uh, water plants, sewer plants, airports, etc., um, that that only accounts for about 10 percent, that traditional infrastructure. Is that a, a correct number or have you guys found it to be elsewhere? No, that's fair. This is when it comes to the roads and bridges and fixing the potholes, which is what people normally think about in infrastructure. Um, that's a very small portion of both the infrastructure bill. And particularly if you look at this whole agenda, both infrastructure and reconciliation that have been split into two pieces in order to get it done this way. It's a very small piece of the overall package. And in the, the political games and questions, um, there's there's lots of questions of would this have been better, more able to get done by now if they'd focused first on just the very specific infrastructure, then the broader infrastructure, then the more um, investment and social welfare and families and other pieces of it. And who knows the answer to that. But infrastructure, like you're talking about, traditional infrastructure, usually has a very strong constituency um, of people all along the political spectrum. And that's because you see it in your neighborhood and it creates real jobs. So that's probably the easiest of all the parts to get done. But it has been packaged with a lot of other pieces, Um, things like broadband, things that would not have gotten quite as much broad-based support. Well, and also, like you said, tied uh, to more of the the human uh, investment. And again, as a taxpayer and a consumer, I wonder why when I see something that's titled infrastructure that that's not exactly what we're getting because, like you said, everybody's uh, in favor of that, fixing the potholes, making roads and bridges safer, whatever, it, you know, putting up guardrail, whatever we can do to, again, uh, you know, make things better, make things safer. Um, so why all of this uh, – and I understand, and I, I know our listeners do too, about, you know, politics is like why watching sausage being made, you know, you don't want to see it, right? But, <laughs> yeah, you know, ugly. yeah, yeah. But also, you know, it's it, it's kind of scary because I feel like it's a shell game that I've been watching the last few months. And I've heard much uh, more bad reports about what's uh, being proposed versus good reports. Well, let me talk a little bit about what we do, because I think it does it does kind of tie into the point you're making and it's true that everything in washington the kind of games that people play is everything's labeled infrastructure because it's popular or everything's a quote-unquote investment even though most of the budget 85 percent of the budget is actually just giving uh money to things that are for consumption we call everything investment because it sounds better and infrastructure the best of all of those things 
Um, one of the things the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget tries to focus on, and we're nonpartisan, really important piece of this. We have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have independents, we have everybody on our staff and our board and our team, but we care about not borrowing to the detriment of the economy. But one of the things that's really important is kind of understanding how the money is being spent um, and then making a decision of whether it's worth it or not. So there's no right or wrong in the budget. You might want more defense. I might want less. You might want tax cuts or tax increases. I might want the opposite. There's no right or wrong. But the point is, if we're going to spend the dollar, somebody is going to pay for it. There is no such thing as free. If you hear free college, if you hear free student loan forgiveness, if you hear anything um, that sounds appealing like that, remember, free means we're either paying it for in, in taxes today or borrowing, which means our kids are paying for the taxes tomorrow. And again, that's not even a judgment. I guess I do have a judgment against the borrowing because I think shifting those costs to the future isn't right. It's not right to say we want to do all the spending today, but we want someone else to pay for it in the future. But what we should do is look at those spending priorities and decide whether it's worth it. Um, and if I can give a plug, but I just think they're really cool, we just bun built a bunch of interactive tools at our website, drfb.org, and they are questions like, here's a game called more or less. Here's all the things we spend in the budget, and we don't just do it in trillions and billions, which are so hard to understand. We put it in a per-person cost, and then you can weigh in and say, should we spend more or less on that? And we'll have different ideas, but it's a way to crowdsource what people think and share it with Congress. But the point we would make is quit trying to hide these costs and don't borrow unless there's a reason to. Um, and, and I will say there are lots of times we should borrow. We should have been borrowing during the COVID emergency. That's exactly when we should have borrowed trillions, and we did. But we shouldn't be borrowing now once the economy is recovered. And we shouldn't have been borrowing in the years running up to COVID because that just leaves us with a mountain of debt, which right now is at near record level. Right. And like you said, we've seen that spending for decades and decades. Uh, and every time somebody you know, acts like they're not going to do that with their campaigning, this is obviously just my opinion on the political side, then we don't see that follow through. And it's really a shame because, like you said, we have this record debt and there are times when we should be spending. It makes a ton of sense. And then there are other times that, um, you know, that it doesn't make any sense. And I appreciate you, um, you know, putting that website out there again, crfb.org. Folks, I mean, you know, Ms. McGinnis is the president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. We're getting the information directly from her. And like she says, there are interactive uh, tools on the website, and it's free, literally. <laughs> Even though we just said nothing's free, this is. You can go on, and they're not going to uh, debit your account for it. So when we, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little more specifically about some of the things that are in these spending uh, bills. And, again, that way you'll know uh, to a certain extent and decide if you... Her shoes, no, Daddy, I can do it myself. When she don't get her way, she'll cross her arms and hold her breath. She's a handful, she's a mess. Digging in the dirt in her princess dress. Goes from tiny tornado to sleeping on my chest. Wow. 
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD, streaming live at WFMD.com. And also you can go to uh, Apple Podcast and uh, grab the podcast if you'd like. Uh, last few weeks, really good stuff. I mean, um, you know, we had uh, – who did we have? We had Manhattan Institute, Mark Mills, senior fellow there. Uh, last week, Mr. Quase. Um, from the China Beige Book this week, Miss uh, Maya McGinnis. Uh, she's the president of the uh, Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, talking about these current issues that are going on uh, with policy and the economics of it. So, Miss um, Miss McGinnis, if you will, and again, folks, want to encourage you to go to uh, their website, which is crfb.org, and um, they've got a ton of free reading and uh, interactive. Um, uh, tools that you can use so that you really understand what's going on with the national debt and uh, these spending programs. If you would, uh, Ms. McGinnis, just give us uh, a, a little insight as to some of the things that are being proposed and how much it might cost. Sure. Okay. So first off, in terms of how much it might cost, we basically know what the the White House and Congress is saying it will cost, but we haven't seen real scores from the Congressional Budget Office. And the point uh, we would make is, don't vote for something until you know the details of what's in it and how much it will cost. So that's important. But in terms of the framework that has been laid out there, that they say there's some good uh, amount of agreement on, we're looking at things like um, pretty K for young kids, child care, um, extending the child, tar- child tax credit, um, expansion of ACA, uh, the Affordable Care Act, um, some some extensions of the earned income tax credit. So these are all things that are helping families. Um, some expansion in Medicare and Medicaid, some more health care, affordable housing. Um, and as I mentioned, um, some, some, some issues on climate. So to help mitigate climate, mainly through tax credits. All told, this is going to cost approximately $2.2 uh, $2 trillion, about $1.85 um, according to the specific numbers, and that includes $100 billion for immigration reform. But, and this is a big but, a lot of these spending programs would actually expire after one year, three years, or four years. And that's not really how budgeting is done. If something's put in there, it's almost always extended. So we're looking at these costs, and we find it probably double what it looks to be on paper, if you actually assume that these policies would be over the 10-year period that we normally talk about in budgeting and that the pay-fors would be needed needed to offset. So it's probably still a three, three and a half, maybe as much, probably, probably closer to three than $4 trillion bill. And the plans to pay for it, which more than pay for it on paper, and I really give the White House a lot of credit for this. They have said this bill should be fully paid for, and they're putting out ideas to do that. But that doesn't take into account that a lot of these fake expirations are shrinking the cost on paper when really it would be at least a trillion, trillion and a half more than it's looking to be. Which, again, like you said earlier, it's hard to understand a trillion, you know, for anybody. Mm -hmm. So what I always do, I tell you, it was great. I ended up on C-SPAN 3 a few months ago uh, when I was channel surfing. And the great Ronald Reagan was giving a press release. uh, And it was great because he took every question and answered, um, you know, whoever wanted to talk to him then. Um, But they explained it. And basically, if you take a $1,000 bill 
and lay it in the palm of your hand, um, once that stack gets to four inches, that's $1 million, folks. Now, to get a trillion, you would take a $1,000 bill and stack it back to back and jump on 95 in Washington, D.C. and go all the way to King's Dominion. That's a trillion dollars. It's over 60 miles. So uh, it's still hard to put your, you know, your mind's eye around that, you know, to understand. But these numbers are phenomenal. And um, yeah. it, it just like you said, Miss McGinnis, I mean, this is something that's not free. We're either paying for it with current taxes or we're borrowing and we're putting the burden on children, grandchildren, great grandchildren. And um, I, I just think pe- more people need to know about that and understand it. Well, the point about the national debt, and and I struggle with this because my job is to try to get people to care about it, and it's a tough sell because you don't see it and you don't feel it every day. And it's not the thing that when we're sitting around our kitchen tables, well, mine, we are talking about it, but most, we're not because people are more thinking about health care costs, saving for putting their kids in college or paying off their student loans, saving for retirement, like the sort of tangible economic challenges that families face. But listen, when the debt is as high as ours is, and it's expected to go up, again, to go back to trillions, we are going to be borrowing over $13 trillion over the next decade. And who knows what that means, but I can promise you that is a lot. And it means that our debt as a share of the economy is likely to continue to grow despite already being the highest it's ever been in this country other than just after World War II. Yeah, exactly. And what that, I'm sorry, and go what ahead. That means, Oh, no, what that means is that weakens our economy, that weakens our standard of living. We are poorer today than we would have been because of all the borrowing of the past. And so while you don't see it, feel it, hear it, that debt is weakening all of our economic situations. And as a country, it's weakening us, which is why we need to say if something's worth doing for in the budget, it is worth paying for it. And we have to figure out how we're going to do that, either by raising taxes or cutting other spending. Yeah, exactly. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and and in, I always come around to this, too, because for whatever reason, uh, uh, you know, nerdy me, it's in the back of my mind. What the heck about Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid that we know we're, you know, Thelma and Louise, we're headed for the cliff. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. I mean, you guys have proven that. Others have proven that. What's going to happen when we have to bail that out or, or reform it? Well, that is one of my biggest frustrations, because any time you point out what the trustees of Social Security and Medicare tell us every single year, that the programs are headed towards insolvency, Medicare Part A, the part of it, in only five years from now, and Social Security, when today's 54-year-old is starting to retire, that's soon if you're looking at retirement. If you even mention that, politicians start bashing each other over the head saying you know you're trying to gut the program or steal money from grandparents when really what we're doing is we are making promises that in our budget there is no plan to keep and there's plenty of disagreement for how to fix these programs we have lots of options on our websites for how to do it but there should be no disagreement that we have to make those changes right away because the people who depend on these programs are the ones who are being hurt the most And so you're absolutely right. What's really frustrating is they are barreling towards not having the money in their trust funds to pay the benefits we promised. Uh, We will be left with very, very bad choices, either cutting benefits for people who desperately need them or hiking taxes on people who already are feeling overburdened. Because it's not just going to be millionaires and billionaires. Like, these are going to be broad-based taxes. 
And if we'd made these changes sooner, we could have done it in a way that was much less harmful because it would have been spread out over time. And so I guess the point I would make is our governance structure right now, it's failing. It's not making hard choices. The polarized two parties are so busy battling each other. They're not making smart policy choices, and I'd emphasize compromises. And as a result, we have too much debt. We haven't planned accordingly for the long term. We have programs that are headed towards insolvency, and we're becoming weak on a geopolitical front because we're borrowing so much, including from abroad, we're becoming dependent on countries we're not even aligned with. So I look at this fiscal situation as a huge vulnerability. Whether you like the plan that's being debated in Congress or not, what is important is that we don't borrow billions more to pay for it. We figure out how to straighten out this budget challenge that we have. Yeah, spot on uh, with all of those points. Um, and I'm really glad that, you know, you had the time to make them. Um, and again, folks, go to uh, crfb.org. A lot of great uh, reading material you can pull up, interactive tools uh, so that you're better educated and informed, which you know this program is all about. Uh, And thanks so much to our guest this morning, Ms. McGinnis. She's the president of the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. And, um, you know, Ms. McGinnis, thank you so much. I mean, very, very enlightening, very informative for everybody. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to share with us. Sure. I'm happy to join you. Thank you. Okay. Have a great rest of the weekend. And uh, that does it for us. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, Again, Ms. McGinnis is a wealth of knowledge. You've seen her on TV. You've read her stuff. The the whole organization is uh, top shelf. Go to crfb.org. And like I said, get educated. Don't listen to, you know, what's on just what's on the radio or what's on TV or what's in the you know, the newspaper or some magazine, uh, go to these think tanks, these groups that really uh, deep dive into what's going on. And uh, that way, you know, and again, the uh, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget is bipartisan. So there's not a whole lot of that left these days. So it's good knowing, like uh, Ms. McGinnis said, they work with people uh, on both sides of the aisles. They have them involved. Uh, in various projects. So um, I just think it's a great thing. And um, I really appreciated her coming on. She's, uh, like I said, a a wealth of knowledge. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, the latest white paper we have for you that's complimentary. Inflation and your retirement. Are you prepared for rising cost? Um, This couldn't be more timely for you. Um, And, you know, from what I'm hearing, a lot of people are leaving their jobs because of these uh, vaccine mandates and whatnot. So obviously this could come into play sooner rather than later. What do you do with your retirement funds? Uh, So go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and get that complimentary download. It's just one click and it's instant into your your email. I'll talk with you on the Morning News Express with uh, Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. Weekday mornings live. 550, 650, 750. And then we'll be back here uh, next Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success.
Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock. 